This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's time for our crack strategy panel. And for the first time in a while, it's provincial politics at the top of the agenda. The legislature is back after five long months and we're all hearing and also seeing, to be fair, a kinder, gentler Doug Ford. Is it real? He talked about the need for a different tone from his team and before that took a conciliatory approach with Justin Trudeau after the election, despite all the trash talk during the election campaign. So is that enough to restore his plummeting popularity? I'd like to hear from you. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Now I'd like to welcome Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies, Ali Salam, Senior Vice President of Public Affairs at National Public Relations, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner of Fleischman Hillard High Road. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, Libby. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. John, you are the resident conservative, so I'll (laughs) let you go first on this. uh, Doug Ford uh, in his first day back. Well, listen, I was excited when the federal election was ended because I knew that the provincial legislature would be back in uh, in play as it was yesterday. And uh, and I'm excited for a number of reasons. One, I think that it, the, the time, the months away uh, that uh, that the premier was and, and caucus and, and the recess that they had, I think, really served to their purpose, uh, not only because they wanted to not only retool and, and take the summer break and get back into the ridings and and do stuff that's, that's quite important, which is constituency work, but also it allowed uh, the premier and his team to reflect over over the last year uh, and acknowledge that there were some challenges and, and some some maybe the pace of legislation that was coming in that might have been too harsh uh, and too quickly. And I think that what you're seeing now is a premier who's recognized that has come back and said, you're going to see a different type of Doug Ford premier. You're going to see a different type of government that was, that's going to govern. And I think, too, given the fact that it's the first year into a four-year mandate, it's the right time if you're ever going to reset and truly reset and retool. Now's the time to do it. And I think the first day back yesterday it was a really good day. It was it was uh, telling that uh, uh, that Minister Prabhmeet Sakaria was the one that led with with all the regulation and red tape uh, uh, legislation that that was put forward to kind of give businesses a break on some of that was was their signature um, uh, legislative uh, uh, at least attack yesterday, which I thought was positive from a business perspective. Ali Salam, you're the Liberal. What did you think about this uh, new Doug Ford? Yeah, I think the proof's going to be in the pudding. Um, I think we're going to have to see what what the premier does in the in the next uh, couple of weeks and months. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to say that you're going to take a more conciliatory tone and do that for a day or two, um, and and you know all the benefit uh, all all the benefit of the doubt to them in that they have so far you know less standing ovations in question period, um, you know more distribution of questions between the premier and his his cabinet ministers. Um, you know they've started off on the right foot, and I think a lot of that also has to do with the change in 
in, in leadership in the premier's office. And we've seen that uh, a number of uh, people have turned over. And so it'll be interesting to see if that if that holds or as things get back down to, you know, the the day to day, you know, fights in the in the legislature over over various issues that are of concern Ontarians, uh, whether or not that holds. The other thing I think I know we said we didn't want to talk about federal politics, but, you know, you'll you'll all remember that uh, the last time there was a, a leadership race, uh, you know, Patrick Brown went from federal politics to provincial politics. It'd be interesting to see if uh, what happens with uh, Andrew Shearer's future and, and how that might uh, get led into by uh, various conservative politicians here. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that uh, in a moment. Kim Wright, uh, we also saw Andrea Horvath for the first time in a while. Now, does, uh, and, and she is her usual, I think, fairly combative self. Does, does this new tone from the government mean that uh, as opposition, the NDP has to take a different tack? Look, Andrea has always been passionate about sticking up for Ontarians, especially where she sees injustices or, and in particular, discrepancies between uh, the headlines and the talking points of we're not going to lay off any teachers and then clearly teachers have been laid off uh, and that, you know, kids aren't going to be hurt and yet they are. Uh, you know, all of these things Andrea has always believed in standing up for. And I have to tell you, I, I, I had a chance to talk with her a few times over the summer break um, and I have seen more fire in her, more wanting to not only be leader of the opposition, but really how does she then become uh, a premier uh, than, I, than I've ever actually seen in her. And I'm pretty excited about that. She had to t- also take some time to get used to her, uh, her larger caucus, the new roles. But, you know, question period is a very different beast than every other part of governing. So uh, I think you're going to see some differences in, in, in how that unfolds. Back to the premier, however, you know, it, everyone shows up on the first day of school, you know, all, all well put together. Everyone tries to behave in class. Everyone's all excited about, uh, you know, getting back at it. Really, as we, as we go down this road, you know, we're already starting to see the ovations creep back in. Uh, we'll start to see that tone change and shift. Uh, but what I have to say is one of the things, and, you know, I, I give credit where credit is due. They've had some ministers who have moved around portfolios, who have really grown into their portfolios, looking at, you know, obviously Minister Stephen Lecce has, has been, uh, really within his, uh, within his, uh, program of education, uh, you know, trying to strike the right tone of being conciliatory. I don't agree with those talking points, and I think some of them are a little too uh, naive and simplistic. Then I think that 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 the negotiations with CUPE and the teachers will ultimately pan out to be. Um, however, what he has done, what Minister Monty McNaughton in edu- uh, in labor uh, have done, and even frankly Lisa McLeod as she's taken on her uh, you know her summer redemption tour, uh, <laughs> all, all of which all. All three of those ministers have really decided uh, and really shown an ability to step up. The rest of the government will have to showcase that. The premier will himself have to keep showing that. But I also think it's just important where we give credit where credit is due. And, and those three ministers in particular have uh, have really taken this recalibrated role uh, appropriately. But the devils will be in the details and we'll see when, when it comes to budget time. Okay, well, I hope we're not all agreeing too violently here. But uh, what about that? I think one of the issues with the conservative government is that they say what they make an announcement and then they say something like there will be no layoffs or these, and then you find out that actually that's not the case. And then they backtrack. So what about all that 
backtracking. I mean, you know, some people say it's good. They're compromising. Other people saying, you know, what's yeah, up with that? Well, I would I would probably fall in the category of those who believe that, you know, governments can change and do change and do reflect and, and, and can course correct. I think that, you know, you, you get you get criticized from from those uh, in the opposition to say, well, you know, you're stubborn and you never listen and you don't you don't do anything. And then then once you do something, you get criticized for changing your mind. And I think that what we saw was uh, a premier who wanted to get a lot of things done in the first year after 15 years of, of liberal uh, rule and, and obviously the state of the province and the financial uh, decay that uh, that resulted in, in those 15 years. I think you saw Premier Ford and, and caucus get, get elected with a landslide majority um, by Ontarians who said, you know what, enough of that. We need something different. We want to change. We want we want to be able to have our province back as a half as a half province, not a half not province. And you saw, I think, a very eager and a very robust caucus and a very robust premier making those legislative changes as they did, but then realizing, you know what, maybe we went too fast, too quick, and too harsh on some of them, and were able to reflect on on some of those key policy points that. That we're we're you know listening to Ontarians, so I think you got to give them the benefit of the doubt to say, look, we listened, we changed our mind, uh, we're going to go this route, not that route, and I think that you know being able to do that once in a while is good. I don't suspect that you'll see a lot of that happening on a regular basis. I think then it becomes a bit of a a bit of an issue. But if you're able to do it over the first year and say, you know, we did it, we're changing it, and here's what we're going to do now for the next uh, two or three years, I think that's that's you know uh, Ontarians would would appreciate that. Well, they would appreciate that, but the fact that the premier came so fast and hot out of the gate uh, after the election, figuring he had a mandate to do whatever the heck he wanted, uh, wasn't best served for Can- for Canadians or Ontarians. Uh, lots of people got hurt. Uh, lots of programs that shouldn't have been uh, slashed or, or changed so dramatically uh, through a dogmatic approach. I uh, really, lots of people got hurt, especially on the autism file. I, I, I don't know how you entirely recover from that, but what they need to do is instead of just going, yeah, that's a great idea. How can we punch at the, uh, you know, X community or, you know, this group of stakeholders who may or may not have supported us in the past. They, they are now having to look at what is the right thing to do for Ontario? What are the goals that the people and for the people uh, that should be out there? And look, I'm, I'm for a good tailgate uh, and being able to grab a glass of wine before my flight. I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, but there are lots of, there are lots of people who, especially when we start to talk about healthcare and home care uh, and mental health support, uh, they are just not getting it at this point. Yeah, uh, so hopefully the government will get uh, get to fixing some of those big problems. Let's let Ali jump in here, the sure. backtracking. And and I want to make the point that, first of all, it's it's the conservative base that is against some of this backtracking because there are people who say, hey, they're not cutting anything. They're not. They're spending more money than than the wind government. That's a criticism on one side. And then, again, it's something like where they'd say, Nobody will be laid off, and and uh, then we see pictures of the teachers who have lost their jobs. And I think that's going to be the real challenge going forward. So I think Kim's right. You saw some protesters, uh, parents of children with autism, and those yeah. supporting them at Queens Park as the legislature came back. Um, there have been other cases like that. And to to John's point, like you can you can backtrack once in a while, but if it becomes you know your your uh, your kind of modus operandi, and and you're doing it every every policy file every two weeks, you know you're not going to look like a leader. And so that's gonna that's gonna affect 
you come election time. Um, I think one, a great place to keep an eye on how this all unfolds is, is the education file. So Kim mentioned uh, Minister Lecce and uh, that file. Doing a really good job, I must say. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting though because there there have been some minor adjustments and, and tweaks as he negotiates yeah. with the with the teachers in, in various places. Right now, it still looks like they're in a strike position, and so um, you know we're going to see how that that one plays out because. You know, it's one thing to remember that you can, you can, you, you, you've got to, you got to pick your fights, you know, strategically. And so, you know, something that Kathleen Wynne did wrong previously was she picked to fight with too many people at the same time. And, and so if education is, you know, an area that you're going to, you know, try to draw a line in the sand on, you know, how many more of these things can you have on the go at the same time? And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the province tries to resolve this issue. I was going to say, and, and, and this is a response to Kim with respect to some of the policy decisions and how quick it was. There was no question that Ontarians voted for change and they voted for somebody to come in and do things because you couldn't contain and the province couldn't sustain the way things were going for the last 15 years. So they had to change it, albeit they might have done it too quickly and, and too fast and, and admittedly by the premier as well. But those are things that needed to happen in order to change this province around in order to ensure that the way things were being done before with, with money being spent uh, you know freely willy-nilly here and there had to at least be curbed and had to be changed in some way shape or form and I think that's where Ontarians will appreciate what Doug has been able to do the premier has been able to do and continues to do and with respect to the autism file there's never a right answer with respect to that the, the parents of autistic kids go through so much so many challenges and there's never enough money uh, to be able to put in the pot to, to ensure that every child with autism gets resolved but at least the government has been acknowledging that there wasn't enough money and that they're trying to put more money and more uh, policy into it, which I think is another win for the government to be able to say, yeah, okay, we might not have done it right. We're going to change it and do something better now. But the one well, thing except, for, except for they hacked everyone off the list, they cut off the list, and it wasn't about saving money. It was actually quite more mean-spirited than that. Uh, they wanted to talk about it being about the money, but they wanted to re- revamp the entire program. And there were a lot of people, including when Lisa McLeod was in opposition, who actually helped uh, a lot of those families with to get the autism funding they had, then she took off that list. You know, it, it's great to play politics about this, John, but the reality is you're, the, the government of Ontario is spending more money than, than Kathleen Wynne did in an election year budget, and Ontarians are not reaping the benefits. This premier got elected on ending hallway medicine, uh, and they're, they're you know still not um, happening. Ending hallway medicine, I mean, they're in the middle of that. Well, it's year and, one. Look, it's it's year and, one, and they've already made a number of changes to that, to the positive. Well, I mean, I'm working on a couple of things in that, and, and I would have to say that Part of the problem is they're in the middle of a transition. Uh, we apparently got rid of CCACs, community access centers, but people are still getting uh, things on their letterhead. So the local health integration networks are still in charge. Try raising somebody at one of those. They will be phased out. The government has already said that some of the administrators there will lose their jobs. Um, so... Uh, they're kind of uh, some of them are a wall now. I, I mean, imagine. Well, and, was, and the thing about frankly, the thing about all of that is going to be system. It, it, it is it is a nightmare if you're trying to help your parents or your friends or even yourself navigate through the healthcare system. Well, there they're trying. So, so I mean, they're trying to change that with these health teams now. Is it going to be just an acronym change? I don't know, but I know that in the transition, it's problematic, and it's problematic. I think um, because of the the people who are actually working there are a lot of them are disgruntled, perhaps. Mm-hmm 
facts with good reason. And there are a few things that Canadians and Ontarians care more about than their health care. Yeah. And so, you know, the government Which was has, ignored in the federal election campaign, I meant at. It certainly wasn't a top-line issue. And so, you know, I think, you know, the Ford government has made it such a priority that this is one 100% something that they're going to be measured on come election time next time. And so, you know, if if they're not able to show results, and listen, we all understand that healthcare transformation is not an overnight process. But if not, if they're not able to show tangible results, you know, in, in a year or two, it's going to be real challenging to make the case that they've they've made progress, even if there's been some behind the scenes progress. The other thing I'll say to, uh, uh, to John's comments previously is we're getting to the point where, you know, looking back at the previous liberal government isn't going to be able to cut it as a talking yep. point soon, yep. right? It, everyone gets a grace period in terms of, you know, you've, you know, the other guys did this and that. But uh, once you're once you're in power for a couple of years, and this was the same thing that, you know, Justin Trudeau had to deal with exactly. as well, which is you can't you can't keep looking backwards. You got to start looking forward. You're the you know, you're the leader. You're the premier or the prime minister in that case. Um, and you're going to have to deliver. And, and that's what you get measured on going yeah. forward. And it's a good thing, though, Ali, because it's a good thing your federal leader didn't mention Stephen Harper once <laughs> after yes. four years of being in government. <laughs> so I do hear you with respect. He to mentioned your, Doug Ford a lot. He mentioned Doug Ford a lot and Stephen Harper in his commercials, even though Stephen Harper had been prime minister for four years. Uh, but nonetheless, I think. I think to your point, though, um, but 15 years of government did create a crisis and it did create the reasoning why Doug and the premier did what he did for the first year. Mind you, admittedly, he's course correcting a lot of it. But nonetheless, I think I think what you're going to see is a huge focus on health care, a huge focus on making sure the economy is back on track uh, and getting us into that into that state for the next uh, the next three years before the, the next provincial election. OK, I want to give the numbers out again. Uh, so people do you think uh, based on this one day, this is day two back. Doug Ford, uh, is he doing a good job? If you were disillusioned with him, I know I heard from a lot of people who said he was going too fast. Uh, do you believe in this tone change? Do you think it's a good thing? Uh, or are you annoyed with this government? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And Kim was saying that that she's seeing a, a renewed fire in Andrea Horvath, her wanting to be premier. Um, later on this week, we're going to have uh, Arthur Potts in. He's about to throw his hat in the ring for the liberal leadership. Uh, frankly, we don't hear much about the interim from the interim leader, John Fraser Alley. Where, where is all that at? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, obviously, you know, with the Liberals being in a position they were after the last election, there's a it's a real challenge to to go through a bit of a rebuild, and that's something they're going to be doing. I think out of respect for the federal election, a lot of those folks were kind of staying out of the way and not not being too visible with the, with all of that going on. So I think you'll see a renewed um, energy from Potts, from Del Duca and Coto and, and Mitzi Hunter and the rest um, who are who are out there looking for that uh, for that leadership play. Um, and the interesting thing is going to be you know. I, I hear Kim saying that, you know, Andrew Horvath's full of, you know, vim and vigor. I, considering that the NDP is a blended party, I, I, you got to wonder what what happened in the in this in the GTA, for example, where there was supposed to be, you know, large gains for for the NDP. And, and you know, I have to presume Ms. Horvath was was working on that as well. And nothing, nothing materialized there. Yeah. Okay, Let Kim let Kim answer that. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not going to say that every time the liberals ever want to trot out the uh, boogeyman of, of of every conservative ever, and it works. So there's a reason that it's your tried and true. We need to vote strategically message. Uh, we see it every time and it works. Uh, we need, New Democrats need to have a better answer to combat that. Uh, look, I, 
would I have liked to have seen more members? Absolutely. Did I see a lot of uh, increased gains uh, for a number of our candidates? Absolutely. Am I excited about people like Matt Green uh, out of Hamilton, who's uh, affectionately known in Hamilton as Community Dad, is now uh, uh, is now an MP? Uh, yeah, there are some great things that happen. Would I have liked to have seen more New Democrats? Of course. But Andrea Horvath is also a very different leader than Jagmeet Singh, uh, and it's a very different uh, a very different time and a very different place. We'll we'll uh, we'll see how she uh, continues to play on the on the front and on the campaign trail. But when it comes to what she wants to do, both as leader of the opposition and engaging with stakeholders, engaging in communities, engaging with her caucus members, and help letting them help to grow and develop into potential uh, ministers, I, I am I'm pretty excited and impressed with some of the folks I see around that caucus table uh, who will also not only hold the government to account currently, uh, but would make extraordinary uh, cabinet members going forward. I would I would say that I think Andrew has been largely out of out of the political um, window frame for the last number of months. I think over the course of the summer, even though summer is always a tough time, and of course leading up to the election, and then of course the election. But I think even before the election, I just we just you didn't hear about Andrew Horvath. You didn't you don't see see her. You didn't talk about things. Whenever there was some sort of um, strike issue, she would pop up and 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 you know sort of you know be angry and uh, and thump her fist on a table. But I just think that she's probably did a bit of a disservice to her party and and um, uh, and certainly as leader of the opposition, I think it was an opportunity for her, given the fact that the Liberals are still in their leadership, you know, selection mode, where she could have sort of taken up some of that airspace. And I think that she failed in that space. And do you I, think? I, uh, I always think it's extraordinary that the Liberal Party, without a leader in Ontario, uh, it, it, you know, the, without them saying anything, without having a, a permanent leader, uh, it seems to be uh, the the new natural parking lot. Yes, does Andrea have some things to do to? convince Ontarians, yes, but she also uh, needed to make sure that she was ready and and willing to want to take this on. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. Rose in Mississauga. Hi, Rose. Hi, I am a first-time caller. I listen to your your program uh, every day, and I really love it. Okay, thank you. Uh, You've got the bill. Go ahead. Okay, I just uh, think that the Ford government is not very sincere. Uh, He has been... um, Cutting a lot of services for the healthcare, um, for, uh, seniors. He's not there for seniors and on the healthcare system and the, uh, also the, uh, teachers, uh, they, they have got too many, um, too many, uh, uh, pupils on the, uh, on the classroom. And, uh, so, uh, I used to be, uh, uh, I used to be, uh, conservative, but I have changed to the liberal for the past, uh, to elections because I don't see the government, uh, the, the Democrats doing anything for us. Okay. Um, take note. Conservatives, thanks for your call, Rose. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have uh, a great day. Okay, you too. Let's go to Al in Brantford. Hello. Hi. Kudos to you. I thought I want Ford myself as a conservative to carry on with the program he said he would do when he started into this. Now we got to go. We got to go back to when I've listened to your callers in there. The, it was uh, NDP and Liberals together that shut down the Ontario psychiatric hospitals and turned those patients out onto the street, which has got flooded out towards the seventies. I think uh, you're talking about something that happened a long time ago. I know, but the end result is sitting on the streets today with the problem we have there with mental health and what? addiction recovery. Well, uh, they shut them down. There was that's four another big thing the government has big promises on. Uh, that's your main issue, Al? 
That's part of it. And, and uh, you know, your people that you got on the program there don't realize that Ontario was not the GTA from Bowmanville down to St. Catharines. That's a good That's point. That's only about 4% of the province of Ontario. And they're well, not, not all by in population. The same, they don't all have the same issues that these people have. That's true. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. Thank you, Al. Well, I, yeah. I should say, to, to Al's point, though, with respect to the GTA and the focus is always on the GTA and the 905, yeah. it's much broader. Guilty and it's, as charged. We're, we're in the federal campaign, it was all about, you know, when we talked about, you know, where the uh, the battlegrounds were, you know, when you talked about the provinces of Quebec and Ontario, and of course, Ontario is always a battleground for, for any any political party to get to, to get to government. But when you when you distill it down, it always comes down to the, four, the 905. And, um, and, and obviously, that's where the population is, although the seats are, but you got to look at it beyond that. But if you look at both callers, you're looking at healthcare and education like these yeah. are the things we're talking about and these are the things well, Ontarians but you're looking at one decision. for and one against yeah yeah and it's going to be interesting because perception is reality when it comes to you know political life and so if you know if rose is having a hard time understanding what premier ford's message is and, and if it's if that's not getting through then you know she's probably not the only one you know who she represents isn't. that view so you know they've got to if, if they're going to be successful the next time around they've got to they've got to figure those you know that communications challenge out as well and and um I have to tell you, as, as, uh, you know, I'm a journalist very engaged in the healthcare file. So yes, to a certain extent, I do accept, say, the excuses that this transition is difficult, but there will come a point. And for a lot of people, for a lot of our demographic Zoomers, it has already come where it's, why is this taking so long? And they will have to show results. Absolutely. Um, so. We are starting to run out of time. We haven't even touched on whether Andrew Shear gets to keep his job quickly, John. Well, listen, I think he should. I think at the end of the day, he's somebody who has, you know, gained seats, uh, gained popular vote, uh, big feats, you know, for both of them from, from a new time, first time leader. I think that you have to reflect back to four years ago when, when, uh, when Justin Trudeau became prime minister, there was not one conservative who didn't think that it was going to be a two term government, you know, that he would be reelected, uh, four years, uh, hence, um, so I think it was always a two-track system for our leadership and our leader. And I remember back when I ran in 2004 and Stephen Harper just became the leader of the new party and was able to to um, bring um, um, Paul Martin to a minority government in 2004. And then in 2006, himself, Stephen Harper, win a minority government. So I think at the end of the day, uh, the party will reflect, you know, determine what worked, what didn't work, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll come back. And I think the party will support Andrew Scheer. I think I'll Ali, uh, just here in the GTA, a lot of people don't believe that he's not going to touch things uh, like abortion. They just think he's too socially conservative for this particular area. Well, forget about just the GTA. Conservative, if anyone's been following on, on Twitter, you know, members of the Conservative Party and, and prominent members of the Conservative Party have been going after Mr. Shear all weekend. And so, you know, if, if you can't keep your own people on side, it's going to be a real hard uh, time to convince uh, voters, uh, you know, in in a couple of years' time that uh, you're the right person for the job. I think only two um, two, two, two individuals ever went on from losing campaigns to become prime minister. Um, and so, you know, is, is Mr. Shear, you know, such an exception that he'll join that, uh, you know, join that illustrious crowd over the history of our country? I, I'm thinking not. Uh, Kim? So I think one of the great disservices that Andrew Shear did to himself was right after the campaign, uh, being quite adamant that he would never step foot at a pride parade. I mean, look, 20 years ago, going to pride was a, an act of, you know, radicalism. Today, it's 
sort of what you do. Uh, the fact that he is hiding behind his Catholicism uh, and in such a way that is just uh, almost mean spirited. I actually have an issue with that. I think he's got to he's got to look at himself in the mirror and say, "Who are you, Andrew Shear? Both as a person and as a politician, he needs to do a big mea culpa tour. Their party leadership will have to do their mea culpa tour. Let people, uh, let their grassroots advocates and activists have their say. Uh, but if he is not willing to evolve, uh, then he's he's got to uh, explain to people why that's the case. Because you can't just hide behind your religion. That's that's a cop out as far as I'm concerned. Uh, even, even people in the religious circles have, have moved beyond that. So he's got a lot of explaining to do. He's got a lot of soul searching to do. Um, and I think he needs to get on that quicker before he starts doing more press conferences. Well, okay. he's, he's just circling his base for his leadership review. He's trying to make sure that he gets the, the social conservative vote. But the social conservatives aren't going to be the one that calls that full shot come April. He's got to make sure that all the people who weren't Max supporters uh, are on his side. He's got to recalibrate his own base. There's a lot of people who aren't just SoCons in the Conservative Party who are, who are actually activists in the Conservative Party that I think are pretty angry about uh, the way he has taken this and the tone in which he's taken it certainly since the election uh, and stuff that he did during the election or didn't do, uh, like taking back the dog comment, which would have been the easiest thing he could have possibly had done. Uh, but, you know, if I were advising Mr. Shear, I'd say you need to take a long, hard look before you decide whether or not you want to take a walk in the snow. OK, last word, John Capobianco. And well, let's make it a bit quick. Uh, yeah. And I think I think he's going to take stock in all that. I think that all parties and all leaders do, no matter what they and I think all parties, quite frankly, should, including the NDP leader and including all the other ones who uh, who lost this election campaign. And I think they'll be doing that and talking to the party members over the course of the next number of months before the leadership review vote in uh, in April of 2020. And we will be talking about it all here next time. Thank you so much to our crack strategy panel, Kim Wright, Ali Salam, and John Capobianco. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.